In our first reading today, we hear Job speaking from the depths of his suffering. A suffering that he did not deserve or bring upon himself in any way. We read these really kind of depressing words. Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? I'm filled with restlessness until the dawn. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. We respond with thanks be to God to that line. I shall not see happiness again. This is a man in deep suffering. To quote Monsignor Lorenzo Albacetti, a theologian and longtime columnist for the New York Times, suffering is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. Suffering is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be lived. How do we live that mystery? Well, Monsignor Albacetti suggests that we persistently ask one fundamental question. Why? To ask why, he explains, is to be human. Why is this happening? Why suffering? He goes so far as to say this, quote, I hope that my last word as I drop dead is this question, why? Maybe the suffering will be too much and I will stop asking, but if I do, I will not have died as a human being. To be a human being is to ask why. To ask why in the face of great suffering, in the face of great trials, points to the fact that somewhere, somehow, we are still convinced that a real answer is still possible. That there is some higher order, some greater purpose, some ultimate aim to all of this. That there is at least some sense left in the world. That was the turning point in C.S. Lewis's own conversion. C.S. Lewis looked out at the world broken by world wars and upheaval and dictatorships all around, and he concluded that because the universe seemed so cruel and so unjust, then there's no way God could exist. An all-powerful, all-good God allowing this much suffering? No way, said C.S. Lewis in his early days. But the problem was that that same argument began to gnaw at C.S. Lewis because he realized that this was uncomfortable for his own atheism. He realized that if he really believed that, that suffering in this world was truly and objectively bad, that it was actually senseless and wrong, then he was forced to assume that at least one part of reality, namely his own idea of justice, was full of sense. That there was some sense in this world, this senseless world. That is incoherent. In other words, we only ask that question, why? Because thankfully, we refuse to accept the status quo. 
We know deep down that something has gone wrong and that there really is an ultimate satisfying good that we are all seeking. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We want things to be set aright in the end. Peter's words from our gospel today come to mind here. Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for an answer. Everyone is looking for the reason for why bad things happen to good people. Everyone is looking for an explanation for disease and terrorism and war and racism and abortion and broken families and sin and death and all the other terrible stuff that we go through on a daily basis. In short, everyone is looking for Jesus. Perhaps at first, we look for him in order to alleviate our sufferings, as that great multitude did in our gospel today. We hear that the whole town comes to his door. He is, after all, a miracle worker. But much more than, than temporary alleviation, I think that, that we, each one of us, are looking for someone who knows us, who understands us, and finally, who loves us precisely where we're at. Everyone needs that, without exception. Everyone is looking to be known, understood, and loved. And in a world so full of suffering, the only place that we can find that is in the one who suffered for us. The one who is well acquainted with sorrows. Jesus Christ, the suffering servant of God. The answer to our fundamental human question, why, is not a philosophically airtight argument. It's not a socio-political scheme that we can all get behind. The answer is Jesus. But he is an answer that doesn't seem very satisfying at first. Because, I don't know about you, but when you get to know the Lord, you find out very quickly that he doesn't just fix everything for us. Our gospel today makes that much very obvious. After Peter alerts Jesus to the fact that everyone is looking for him, evidently to receive more and more miraculous healings, Jesus bluntly replies, let us go on to the next village that I may preach there also. It's almost comical the way that that turns. It's humorous and it's frustrating because we want Jesus to stay. We want him to fix everything that we're going through. And yet, Jesus effectively says to Peter, as he says to us as well, let's blow this popsicle stand. Let's go somewhere else. There's more work to do. There's more people that need to hear and believe. Why? Because he is on a mission. It is for this purpose that he has come. Not to completely eliminate suffering or eradicate poverty or any other problem that we face, but to lead people into the mystery of God. Remember, suffering isn't a problem to be solved. It's a mystery to be lived. Christ doesn't try to explain our suffering to us or show us why it makes sense or why it's for our own good even. Perhaps you've seen this firsthand 
you probably know from personal experience that although God does have a beautiful way of bringing good out of our suffering, very rarely does he make that clear to us when we are in the midst of it. It's only in hindsight. It's only after the fact, when we're done hurting, that we can see, wow, I grew there. Something good was brought out of that. That suffering, even though it was terrible and I wish it never happened, in a deeper sense, I see that it was a part of God's plan. This conviction is part of being Christian. And yet, we know that that Jesus doesn't just fix stuff. He embraces suffering. He gently invites us to join him up on that cross with him. He beckons us to believe. And from the heart of our trials and tribulations, not just after we're done with them, he wants us to say in the midst of those difficulties, God, you have not abandoned me. You're with me here. I believe that that vengeance is yours, Lord, not mine. That, That I can wait for your justice, wait for your final word. This conviction is what motivated and propelled St. Paul, who in our second reading today said that he became a slave to all, so as to win over as many as possible. To the weak, he became weak. To the Jews, he became like the Jews. To the Gentiles, he became like the Gentiles. And in practice, in actual point of practice, that looks like unimaginable suffering for St. Paul. This being all things to all isn't fun. It it ends up being a pile of suffering because Paul underwent countless labors, imprisonments, beatings, and brushes with death. He was stoned, shipwrecked, lashed, abandoned, betrayed, ignored, laughed at, and constantly surrounded by every kind of danger. In many ways, St. Paul is a New Testament Job, a man singled out by God to undergo heroic feats of pain and trial. Jesus even says to St. Paul in the book of Acts, I will show him that he will have to suffer for my name. I will show him how much he's going to have to suffer for my name. So what's the difference between Job, who we hear is in this place of deep despair in our first reading, and St. Paul in our second reading? Well, I'll tell you. St. Paul was entirely convinced of the reality of the resurrection. He could spend everything that he had, all of his blood, sweat, and tears, to preach the gospel because Christ's sufferings did not end in death. They made the empty tomb possible. Our friend Job could only speak in a vague sort of prophecy concerning the future event of the resurrection. When elsewhere in the book of Job, he says these words, which are quite beautiful. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. I know that in the end that God will be victorious. Job even says that, even when at other points he says, I'm without hope, and I'll never see happiness again. He believes that his Redeemer will live and stand up again. Job perceived in a shadowy way what Paul saw with his own eyes unveiled. That Jesus, the Savior, did stand back up on this earth. That's what the Greek word resurrection literally means. To stand back up. Our Redeemer does not lie down in death. 
He was not held down by his many sufferings. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he stands back up again on Easter morning. Sin and death and any kind of suffering could not contain him. St. Paul became all things to all. He preached the gospel tirelessly because he knew that everyone was looking for Jesus, that everyone was asking that same exact fundamental question, why? That's what makes us human, to look for the answer. And Paul's God-given vocation was to offer the only answer worth having, the only answer that is really an answer at all, which is the grace of God given freely, free of charge to us in his son Jesus who is raised from the dead. And so Paul cries out, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't give this free of charge. Woe to me if I do not present the answer. I don't know what suffering you are currently going through right now, but I doubt that there are many here among us right now that don't have something going on that's extremely difficult, something really painful and confusing and frustrating and seemingly without any kind of solution. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel to you in the heart of your suffering. If I don't preach to you that Jesus is really with you, that he really does love you, and that he is raised from the dead for you. He is the answer that you're looking for, and he offers you himself, crucified and risen from the dead, in this Holy Eucharist, that we are about to share.